Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm so excited today to have the opportunity to introduce my dear friend who is one of the favorite preachers here at uh, guest speakers here at Life Church. And uh, he's going to speak life into your situation today. He's going to speak life into your future. This is Brother Luami Diaz. And uh, I've played basketball with him one time, and he won't play again with me. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if he fears me or what. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he was an all-state basketball player in high school and uh, was uh, looking forward perhaps to a career in that, but God changed the direction uh, for his life, and uh, he is a powerful minister of the gospel. He uh, was raised in a household where his um, family, uh, his uh, uh, primary language growing up was Spanish uh, in a Dominican family, uh, and now he speaks English fairly good, but we're so glad to have Brother Luami Diaz with us. God bless you, my brother. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everyone. Everybody means everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. That wasn't a greeting. That was a command. Praise the Lord, everyone. For the Bible said, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Is there anybody that's appreciative of the fact that God woke you up this morning, started you on your way? He set your foot on a rock to stay. Bless the name of the Lord. Amen. So excited. Always, always exciting to be here in the house of the Lord and to worship uh, with all of you and to break bread with all of you. Very good to uh, be with my dear friends and uh, my uh, children's future in-laws. Uh, always, always good. Always good. <clears throat> my uh, son, when uh, actually Micah, uh, Micah calls uh, Pastor Brown Rich Brown. He thinks Rich Brown is his first name. So he, he always says, Dad, are we going to Rich Brown's church? And, uh, but it, they, they, they were a little bummed that they could not make it. Uh, but my son, Caleb, he sends special regards to somebody uh, over in this, this general area. And uh, <clears throat> amen. We are... Uh, so there was a possibility that I, I, I was, uh, we were discussing bringing him over this weekend, and uh, he knew I was coming here. And uh, so Wednesday, he says, Dad, I, I need a haircut. Like, you, do, you don't understand. No, I need a haircut. <laughs> and so I knew exactly what he was talking about. But uh, we're very excited to be here. Uh, always a great privilege. I want to get right into the word of the Lord in Romans chapter 4. And then I'm going to read verse 18 through verse 21. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through verse 21. And there we will find the word for this morning. Now, this is talking about Abraham in the context of Romans 4 is where Paul is speaking on justification by faith. Justification is uh, where we are made, we're not made just, but we are called just. And that is the, the difference, um, you know, we're, we're, not, we're never just before the Lord. We will always be imperfect. We will always be sinners. 
but he calls us just. And, and there's a difference between justification that is imparted and justification that is imputed. Now, our justification is imputed, which means he calls us just. He doesn't make us just. He calls us just. And after, initially, he calls us just before you even merit the name. That's what he does. That's by faith, he calls you just. However, in the process of sanctification, that's when he tries to make you just. He tries to make you merit the name that he already called you, you know. And so that's what justification by faith is. He says, you are holy, now walk holy. That, that's why Paul says, uh, walk in the, you know, I, uh, I, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you walk in the vocation of your calling. You, you, now, you know, you've already been called this. Now I want you to... Now, my goodness. Now, now I want you to walk in this. You've been called this, but now I want you to walk in this. And that's what justification is. Justification by faith is where God calls you just when you have faith. And then he says, now I need you to walk worthy of the calling of your vocation. That's why, that's why people, people don't understand, like when we call ourselves saints, when Paul called the Corinthian church saints, you know, called to be saints. Uh, and the Corinthian church was one of the worst churches alive. And he calls them saints, you know, at the very beginning. And so people don't understand that Christians, you know, you being a Christian does not mean that you're perfect. Does not mean that you're not going to make mistakes or that you're not going to fall or that you're not going to sin. Uh, but, but God calls you a saint. He calls you just before you merit the name. And that's what Paul did to the Corinthian church. He says, you are called saints. Now, this is the same church where some in there were sleeping with their mom. You, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, it, it, some of them were, were getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. And so they didn't merit the name saint. But he said, God called you saint before you merited the name. But now he expects you to walk in the sanctity of your calling. He expects you to fulfill, he expects you to merit the name. He expects you to walk with him. And so that's what justification is. Justification is something God does, you know. And sanctification is a process, and you work with the Holy Spirit in order to get there. But justification is all God. And no work is done by man. God calls you just before you deserve to be called just. That's, that was the whole context of Romans 4, that it is not of us. We don't do it. And, and this is the example that he uses. He uses Abraham. So we pick it up in verse 18, and he says, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So this was a promise given to Abraham. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief 
but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. What he had promised, he was, also, he was able also to perform. My, my text here that I just read, I'm, I'm going to emphasize verse 19. He, he was not weak in faith, and he considered not his own body now dead. Now, I don't, I don't want to get too graphic here, but when it says that his body was now dead, it means he was incapable of uh, impregnating his wife. He was incapable of, of, of doing such a thing. And so that's what it means when he says he considered not his own body that was now dead, about 100 years old, um, but he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. This is, this is what I want to speak to you here. On. I want to speak to you on a fertile promise. So God gives him a living promise, a fertile promise, in a womb that is infertile. So a fertile promise in an infertile womb or a living promise in a womb of deadness. What happens when God gives you a living promise, but then he places it in a dead womb? He was incapable of fulfilling God's promise. God said, I'm going to give you a promise, but I'm going to give you a wife that can't fulfill my promise. If you are honest enough here tonight, this morning, you will also agree with Abraham and say, God, I have received some great promises, and I have heard your word over and over again, and, and I know and I am confident that, that you have promised me these things. However, my situation seems so infertile. My situation seems to keep telling me this will never happen. You know, this can't, I am incapable of acquiring God's finished result or what he wants. This will never happen. However, this is what God brought me here to speak to you on. There's a fertile promise and God has placed it in an infertile womb. Amen. We're going to pray here together and I pray that uh, you help me here to pray and ask the Lord that he would touch me and use me here to speak to someone's situation this morning. Father, we come before you and we ask that your spirit and power would be among us and that uh, you would help me to speak your words, uh, the oracles of God, as an oracle of God, that I may bring it forth with liberty, with clarity of speech and understanding, and that my vocabulary, O oh Lord, will uh, be in a, in a manner that is easy to understand and that your people may uh, bring forth good fruit through it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, I absolutely love your shoes this afternoon. Amen. 
So one thing that I have learned is that the womb is very necessary for the life of a child and for the period where uh, that mother is expecting because in a womb, the womb provides protection and nourishment for the child. And so if you have a sick womb, you have a sick child. I remember growing up in New York, um, there was a girl that uh, seemed to be pregnant, and she was doing quite well. And then seven months into her pregnancy, she noticed that the baby was no longer moving in the womb. So she was a, a bit worried. She, um, she went down to the doctor, and the doctor said, I, she, he said, I, I can't, we can't help you. Um, you have a, a rare sickness where uh, your, your womb is not functioning properly. And because the womb kind of shriveled up and uh, died, your baby just suddenly died. He was no longer getting any nutrients. And so she had to give birth to a stillborn child because her womb had died. And because the womb died, suddenly the baby also had died. They caught it way too late, and they could not bring it uh, back alive. If the womb is unhealthy, the baby will likely be unhealthy. Here's the deal with this. The Bible doesn't tell us that Sarah's womb was unhealthy. It tells us that Sarah's womb was dead. It was dead. Do you know what that means? It means that it was incapable of accomplishing God's promise because Sarah's womb was completely dead. There is a biblical truth in all of this, and it repeats itself. You know, it repeats itself. It's, it's repeated throughout Scripture. There is a pattern and a precedent set way from the beginning, and that is that God tends to choose things and people and nations and churches and youth groups, and individuals, and talented people that are incapable of accomplishing his will. Very incapable of accomplishing his will. I look at, at the writer of uh, Corinthians, you know, Paul, and he, and he writes to them, and that's exactly what he tells them from the very beginning. I mean, if you read chapter 1, he tells you, right, and, and now listen, we read this scripture all the time, but if you really pay attention to what Paul is saying in this scripture, you'll notice this is pretty offensive. I mean, it, it's pretty offensive what he's saying. That, that's, he says, you see your calling, brethren. Now, he, he's pointing at them. He says, you see your calling, all right? Um, how that not many wise men after the flesh and not many mighty and not many noble are called. And so he said, what he was saying is God doesn't call wise people and he doesn't call mighty people and he, he doesn't call noble people. And then he said, and the proof is you. That's what he said. You see your calling. You know, you have to look in the mirror and, you know, ask yourself, am I wise? No. Am I mighty? No. Am I noble? No. So this is what he says. Then he says, but God chose the foolish things of the world. And again, you see your calling. You're a fool. That's, that's basically what he was saying. Don't laugh too hard. You've been chosen. And, and God chose the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and the base things of the world to bring to naught, or the things that are despised that God chosen to bring to naught those things that are, you know, 
And so it seems like God always chooses those things that cannot bring about his promises. I, I, I love to read, you know, in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy, if, if you break that word down, deo in Latin meaning two, you know, in Spanish dos, deo, it just means two. And so, and then nomos in, in uh, the Greek would be um, uh, law. So, so if you break the word down, Deuteronomy, what that means is the second time the law was given. So the law, the second time. And, and if you read the, the book of Deuteronomy, all it is, it's a repetition of the law that had already, I mean, almost word for word, it's a repetition of the law that God had already given to the people who came out of Exodus in Levit Leviticus in Numbers. And, and Deuteronomy is just a compilation of the law, and he's repeating it. And who is he giving it to? He's giving it to the children of the people of Israel who were born out in the desert. You know, they, didn't, they never experienced Egypt. They never knew what Egypt was like. They didn't know about the law and, and, and the law that was given in Mount Sinai. And so the Lord had to come back to the children who had not learned the law and say, listen, this is the second time I'm going to give the law because you don't remember. See, all you know is manna. You don't remember what it used to be like to get whipped by an Egyptian. You don't know what it is to come, you know, you don't know what it is for me to bring you out the way that I did. All you know is God feeds us manna and God clothes us every day and we never have to suffer. And, we, and, and so what happens is when, when you get all these blessings, you become entitled. And this is what the people of Israel were doing. They were entitled to these blessings and the people, the children of Israel were going, well, you know, he didn't choose any of the other nations and look how God treats us and because we're better than everybody else. And so the Lord had to come back and remind them, no, 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 no. You're not better than everybody else. It wasn't because of your goodness that I chose you. It wasn't because you were great that I chose you. When I chose you, you were getting whipped by Egyptians. When I chose you, you were down and out. And so I have to bring it. So he came back the second time. And in, in Deuteronomy 7, 7, he says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor did he choose you, because you were more in number than any people. Another version said, because you were not, you were, you were, more significant than any other people. He says, for you were the fewest of all the people, or you were the most insignificant of all the people. He said, the Lord did not choose you children of Israel because you were strong and great. Don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not giving you manna because you're somebody, because you know, you're all that. That's not why, well, that's not what I'm doing. Why You're not better than any of the other nations. The reason that I did this is just the opposite. I did this because you were the most insignificant of all the people. I could have chosen Babylon. I could have chosen the Philistines. I could have chosen any other nation who had bigger armies, who were stronger, who were mightier, who were wiser. But I chose you. And the reason I chose you is because you were the most insignificant of all the people. And so I chose you not because of your strength, but because you were incapable of acquiring my promise. Then, then you, you have the disciples, right? The disciples come over, and the Bible says in Acts 4.13, Jesus is about to change this world. And who does he choose? You know what they were called? They were called unlearned and ignorant 
men, unlearned, and it, listen, if it was, if I was Jesus, and it was me, and I, and I had to choose a, a posse to come change the world, I'm going up to Malibu, the boo, baby, I'm, I'm going up to Malibu, knocking on doors, saying, listen, can, can you, 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 yeah, you, you, you with the Lamborghini, I want you to be on my team because we're going to change. Well, that's not what Jesus did. He came knocking uh, down in Compton. He came, he came throwing gang signs. He came knocking on doors, you know, talking about, do you know your ABCs? A, B, H, H, F, F, G. Yep, you qualify. Come on down. That's you. Yep, you qualify. No teeth. Yeah, come on. Come on down. Shopping at Walmart at 1 in the morning. Come on down. <laughs> you qualify. That's, that's the kind of people that Jesus would pick to come, the ignorant and unlearned men. And he said, I'm choosing you to change the world. You know, I'm not, I'm not choosing the mighty. I'm not choosing the wise. I'm not choosing the strong. I'm choosing you to come to, what, what are we doing? You're about to become a fisher of men. That's what I'm about to make you. Well, what have I done? You've done nothing, but that's exactly why I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you because you are unlearned and ignorant and you qualify. And then you have Jesus himself. Man, I, I've got to be honest with you. and you, I've got to reveal some things about me here personally, and I'm going to be very transparent. When Jesus came to this earth, he came, and the Bible says there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. All right? Uh, there's a reason why I wasn't Messiah. There is, there is a straight-up reason why I wasn't Messiah. Because if I had gotten the call to change the world, you better, I'm telling you, I would have wore fur, like Giorgio Armani fur, Ferragamo shoes, just, just coming out like, hey. That's me, because I'm a diva. They're deep down inside, I've got, to, I've got to suppress this every day. It's a struggle. It's a struggle, and I have to suppress it every day. Uh, but it, but it's it, but it's in me, you know. Um, I like I like fur, and uh, I like I like bling bling. I I used to be a pimp back in. Uh, <laughs> That's not what Jesus did. Jesus did not come dressed with the gold and the silver and the costly array, but the Bible said he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And yet, he, he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon himself the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, the kenosis, that's what it's called, the emptying, he emptied himself of all that would make him, you know, knowledgeable and, and, and all-wise God. He emptied himself of all that. He became a servant like us and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. He did not do this, you know, as, as the almighty, all-knowing God. He said, I'm going to become men. In other words, this is what people, people are not, this is not, what it's not going look like I'm the savior of the world because I'm going to choose things that is going to absolutely confound people when they say what you mean to tell me this man is he that is going to change the world he was born in a little manger he comes from Bethlehem of Judea the smallest city
city and all of the region of Judea. He, he is from a poor family. He doesn't, you know, and I, I, I was listening to radio the other day and a guy said, you know, one of these prosperity preachers said that, you know, uh, he doesn't understand why people are so against prosperity when Jesus was born to a businessman, you know, because he was a carpenter. He said he had a carpentry shop and he was a businessman. I was thinking to myself, do you not ignorant and unlearned men, do you not understand that when they came down to the temple, they had to bring the turtle doves as offerings because they could not even afford the lamb. And so the exception in the Old Testament was that if you were poor, so poor that you couldn't afford the lamb, just it, this was the exception because the offering was actually a lamb. That's what was required. But there was an exception made for the poorest of the poor. And he said, if you can't afford the lamb, then bring two turtle doves and that will also be accepted. And that's what Jesus, you know, that's what his family brought. They brought down the two turtle doves for the offering because they could not even afford for lamb for the, this is what Jesus had to go through. He, he, he didn't own real estate. There was no beauty in him that we should desire. He comes into Jerusalem riding in a donkey. He eats with publicans and sinners. He dies the death of a criminal. And then even his own tomb was not his. The Bible said his tomb was borrowed it was not his he did not own it how do you borrow a tomb no no that's a real question how do you borrow a tomb how do you go up to somebody and say sir could I borrow your tomb but don't worry I'll give it back in three days who who in their right mind lends a tomb that's a whole lot of faith Right? I mean, how do you go back to your wife and tell her, hey, baby, I, uh, I gave our inheritance away. I did. You know, this has been passed down from generation to generation. And, but I gave it away. Don't worry. Because the man said he's going to give back our tomb in three days. And in three days, he did give it back. And Jesus is such a gentleman. He, he, he even, I mean, he made his bed. You know, he just, he left the light on for them, said, you're next. But you're not coming out in three days. <laughs> That's how God came to reveal himself in flesh. And yet it was at first sight, everything and everyone was saying it's impossible for this man to be Messiah. It defies conventional wisdom. And yet God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And even with all of his poverty and all of his frailty in his human condition, God decided that there would be no salvation given in no other name. For there is none other name under heaven whereby we must be saved and so he said this is the vehicle I'm going to use things that seem despised and unwanted and unwise and it's the foolishness of men and that's quite all right because God said that's what qualifies that's what I'm going to use I'm going to place the living promise in wombs of deadness and things that seem incapable of acquiring God's desired results you know, I don't understand why he does it, but that's the
the way he does it. He has always chosen those things. If you read the book of Matthew, Matthew is writing to Jews. And it, 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 it's, so, it's so powerful to me because the Jews were very particular about their geneal genealogy. And so they loved for their fellow Jews to have a pure lineage, you know. And so they were so concerned that everybody's, you know, that they could trace their family members all the way back to Abraham and that everybody was a Jew and that everyone, you know, had some sort of, a, they were concerned with pedigree, you know, and if you don't know what that word, uh, pedigree, pedigree uh, is, then uh, it's dog's food. It's dog's food. But they were concerned with pedigree, and that's why they hated Samaritans. They hated Samaritans because Samaritans were half Jews and half something else. Whatever that something else was, they didn't care. They just knew that, you know, they, were, they hated Samaria so much that they weren't, even, they weren't even concerned with going up to the region of Galilee through Samaria. I mean, Samaria stood right in Palestine, stood right in the middle of Judea in the south and Galilee up in the north. And, and all they had to do to get to Galilee was just walk through Samaria and get to Galilee. But the Jews hated Samaria so much that they would go around Samaria and they would go across the River Jordan and then they would make a big old loop and turn around and come and it would take them a whole lot more time, four times, four times the amount of time that they would have taken if they would just go through Samaria to get to Galilee. But they didn't even want to touch Galilee, I'm, or, I'm sorry, uh, Samaria. That's how much they hated Samaria. And that's why in John 4 when Jesus looks at the disciples and he tells them, I must go through Samaria. The disciples looked at him and said, you must go through where? He, Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman at the well in Samaria he had to go meet. You know, that's pretty powerful stuff because God will go through hell to get to you. Do you know that? He'll go through, you know... Listen, people will say, I'm your friend, and I'm with you, and, and I've got your back. You don't have my back unless you're willing to go through hell for me. You don't have my back unless you're willing to go to places nobody else is willing to get to. And Jesus said, I'm willing to go through hell. My reputation is going to be on the line when I go, but I've got to go through Samaria. And I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what they talk about me. I've got to get there because there's a woman I've got to touch. There's a woman I've got to feed. There's a woman that needs my help. I'm telling you, there's a Jesus here tonight, this afternoon. He wants to reach you where you are, and he's willing to go through hell to get to you. And I'm all right, all right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm setting this thing up. So just listen. So he, he, he goes through Samaria. They, they hated that, and, and they wouldn't go through Samaria to get there. And, and Matthew is writing to Jews who are concerned with pedigree. And I love it because if, listen, you would think that he would be so sensitive to the Jews that he would prefer to use a pure lineage when, you know, I mean, it's, it's the family tree, you know, make sure that you have the right, because, you know, everybody's got that drunk uncle that you want to, you want to remove from the family pictures, right? No one wants to, you know, that, the one you warn your children about. Don't go sitting on Uncle Pancho's laps, you know, just stay away. So uh, that's, but, but no, Matthew put everybody, everybody, he put everyone in there, uh, 
And when you look at the genealogy, especially when Matthew writes it, um, if, if he could someone, somehow get everyone in a time machine from like his, his, all his past and bring them all together in one room, if he could do that uh, from all his generations past, I think there would be like FBI and helicopters outside just waiting on everybody to come out, you know. And there'd be a guy on a loudspeaker out in the front like, bad boys, bad boys, what you, that's exactly. That's what would be happening if Jesus could get everybody together in this little place. Because it, I'm telling you, there were like he, there were cheats and liars and murderers and prostitutes and sinners. This is Jesus' lineage, the Savior of the world. He could have chosen just about anybody, but this is what, you know, in that, in that lineage was a woman named Tamar. Tamar was Judah, Judah's daughter-in-law who seduced him to sleep with her. That's what she did. And Jesus said, what? You did what? Yeah, I seduced my father-in-law, and we slept because, you know, there, there, there's a history there. But uh, we slept together, and uh, I had to bring out a child. And, and he said, yeah, I like you, girl. Come on down. <laughs> Come on down, you're, you're in my lineage. And then there's a, there's a woman there, her name was Ruth. Ruth was cool, but she was a Gentile. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't part of like the house of Israel. She had no promises. She was a Gentile. And, and Jesus said, you're a what? I'm a Gentile. I'm, you know, I don't belong. He said, yep, you come on down. I'm going to put you in there as well. Could you imagine when the Jews read that? They're like, Ruth, we can't even say Ruth. You know, we want Jehoshaphat. We don't, we don't want Ruth, you know. We want Yaakov, <laughs> Rosenberg. But this is, I don't, I just don't get it. Why, you know, the Jews are looking around. And they're going, eh, that, that's not part of us. And then there's a woman in there. Her name was Rahab, Rahab, Rahab. She wasn't a cool girl. She, she worked the night shift, you know, Rahab. She didn't. She, she, was, she was a woman of ill repute. She was a, a harlot. Around my way, we don't say harlot. Around my way, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not, not going to do it. Around my way, we'd call that a garden tool. But anyway, uh, there was, <laughs> there is another one too, uh, Bathsheba. Y'all know Bathsheba, right? Bathsheba, she, uh, she had a son named Solomon, and she was also in there. Now, this is the deal, right? Bathsheba had a son named Solomon, and her husband's name was Uriah, right? But Solomon was not Uriah's son. Solomon was David's son. You know, that, I just get, this is like soap opera right now. This is, this is really going on right now. Uh, so you could, and, and I laugh because it's like, did, you, did David not have seven other legitimate sons he, they could have easily chosen? But yet, Jesus was looking down and he said, what? You were born to what? You, you, you are not, yes, you. You are the child of adultery. You are a child of, of, of some, some of that stuff going on that shouldn't be going, that's, that secret lover, that kind that, you, you are a child of that? Yeah, uh, you qualify. Come on down. 
<laughs> you qualify. That's the kind of stuff that was going on. And now the question is this. Why did God choose these people and these things and these individuals who could not bring forth the desired result? God's promises were put in wombs of deadness. And, you know, people were looking around going, dur, dur, no, no, Rahab, prostitute, Gentile over there, unlearned, ignorant men. You, you came out of Egypt. You, you did this. You, you had a past. You, you've got skeletons in your closet. You cannot be a part of what God is doing. Why did he choose? Well, we, we kind of uh, talked about that, you know, you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise after the flesh are called and not many mighty after the flesh are called and not many noble after the flesh are called for the foolish things of the world he called you know to confound the wise and the weak things of the world he called to confound those things that are mighty and the base things of the world and those things that are despised that God called to bring to not those things that are we read that but here it goes this is the answer do you want to know why God chooses uh, you know unhealthy wombs and dead wombs and infertile wombs to bring about his fertile promises and his living promises here's the answer it's in the next verse we, we we missed out on the next verse he said he chose the foolish things for what purpose so that no flesh would glory in his presence that's what he did. He said, so that no flesh would glory in his presence. Let me tell you why God chose those things. He said, I chose you. And this was a pre predetermined choosing. I chose you so that you can't stand in my presence and say, it was my intelligence. It was my strength. It, it was my wit. It was my glory. It was me who brought this about. He said, ah, it's not going to be about your talent it is not by might and it is not by power it's by my spirit saith the Lord he said I'm going to choose those things which I have deemed worthy of bringing the maximum glory back to me and so I'm going to bring those things to naught out of base things I'm going to make great things because I'm going to get glory out of your life I'm going to choose impossibilities. I'm going to choose things that people despise. I'm going to choose things that people are going to have to look back and say, if it had not been but for the Lord who was on your side. I'm going to choose people that when you come out of your breakthrough that people are going to have to look back and say, wait, 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 wait. I know you from back in the block. I know what you used to do. I know who you were before. There is absolutely no way you could have turned it around. No rehab, no no medicine, no doctor, no shrink could get it out of you. Nothing could ever work on you. I know you. So if it had not been before the Lord who was on your side, did not the psalmist say, he said, if the Lord don't build the house, they labor but in vain. They that build it. And if the Lord don't watch over the city, they labor but in vain. They that watch over it, I'm telling you, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his glory. And he's going to get glory out of your life. 
Whoa. Bless the name of the Lord. I'm here to tell you, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what side of the tracks you're coming from. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care who your daddy was. I don't care what your granddaddy did. I'm here to tell you, God is telling somebody in this place, the reason I'm choosing these people and putting them in my holy book is to let somebody know in December 2013, you don't have to be a star to be in God's show. You don't have to be a somebody for God to use you. I'll pick the two, the foolish things. I'll pick the weak things. I'll pick you so that I can get glory out of your life. Woo. We have an treasure in jars of clay in an earthen vessel we have a treasure that it is but this is what I love he said the reason why God has placed a treasure in earthen vessels is so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of men that's the reason why. He said, because no one's coming out going, whoo, what a vessel. He said, they, they don't care about the vessel. They, they, care, they care about the booty. Right? That, that, do you, you understand the word booty? All right. Not many of you do. <laughs> he said, so that the excellency of the power may be of God. Here, I'm going to get to the story and the text. Here's Abraham being chosen. Why do you think God chose Abraham? And then he chooses him when he's 75 years old. All right? Emphasis on old. 35 years old. Um, I mean, 75 years old. This is, this is the deal. You can almost see Abraham as he looks back at God and says, you could have chosen me 50 years ago. Where were you, you know, 50, 60 years ago? Because I, I ain't no spring chicken anymore. I, I, I don't, you know, this, is, this, is, this, this body right here is not going to work like that. He said, yeah, you, you could have, you know, you could have done it when I was an athlete. You could have done it, you know, I, I was doing P90X. Back in those days. <laughs> you could have chosen me then, but now, you, you choose me now. You know, you choose me now. Uh, it, it, I've got a fake hip. You choose me now. <laughs> what, waking up at four in the morning. You know, why, why do old people wake up at four? <laughs> they just, four, four in the morning playing dominoes out in the balcony. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't get it. Four in the morning, man, just gossiping and whatnot. Um, you could have you chosen me back when I didn't smell like Ben Gay. You could have chosen me. You could have, cho you know. <laughs> and then they get like 50% off at Denny's. That's, that, I, I don't like that, man. Everybody should be treated equally. Like, I... I want 50% off, you know. I, 
I'm black. I, I ought to get <laughs> You ought to give me some sort of discount. Um, nah, he, he, he said, I, I chose you now. And then Sarah was 65. Sarah was 65. That, you know, that's a little older. Um, Abraham says, Lord, why? And he says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this promise. And I, I'm, I'm even changing your name. Because the name Abram, it meant father. And he said, hey, Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham. You know? And at first, I, I, I could almost guarantee you that Abram was pretty excited about the change of name because Abram was already implying a whole lot of faith. It meant father, and he was fatherless. So Abram was going, you're going to change my name? I'm so happy because everyone calls me father. And look, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not a father. You know, I've never, I've never, but the Lord said, no, yeah, I am going to change your name. I'm going to call you Abraham. And then when he gets that name, Abraham means father of many nations. You see, that, that's worse. Just keep me with father. Father was good. But now I'm being called father of many nations at 75, you know. But, you know, I could almost imagine, like, Abraham got a little air about him because he said, you know, you know how old people do it when, you know, they, they think they're, you know. My dad still does that. Like, he, he acts like he still got it. You know, like out in the softball field. <laughs> Oh, man, it's just, it's hilarious. He acts like he still got it. And, and so older people, they, they always, always do that. Um, he takes about 15 minutes to go around the bases. He does. But the whole time he's pointing at people, like, you know, <laughs> in slow motion. <laughs> Old people just have a way of, of doing that. And that's what Abraham was doing. You know, Abraham, he got called at 75, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm tired, you know, but, uh, but if you can use anything, you can use me. And, you know, I, st I still got a little something, something, you know, in the tank, 75. I mean, Larry King did it, so I, I think I could. It, it, Larry King's like 90 with a two-year-old. So he, <laughs> so he said, if Larry King did it, I do it. We could do this. Donald Trump did it. So he was, he's, he's over and he's, he's saying, I could do this. But here's the problem. He said, Abraham, uh, -uh. I called you at 75, but I'm not giving you your promise at 76. Isaac will not be born until you are a hundred years old. I'm delaying your promise 25 years before you get your promise. Do you know why, Abraham? Because I don't, I, at 75, you can, you can still walk at 75. I want you to be so decrepit, so down and out and hurting, and that when people look at you, they say there is absolutely no human way that this could have happened. I need you to be such an impossibility that when people look at you, they say, no, Abraham, haven't you? No, that's not going to happen. 
And Sarah, at 90 years of age, 90 years of age. Could you imagine that? Sarah, at 90 years of age, bearing children. That's what God did to them. He delayed it 25 years. Her womb was sterile, and her husband's body was dead. But God did, did it. You know why? So that in generations to come, when their grandchildren would ask their fathers, Dad, where was our nation born? A story would be given. And that was, let me tell you, Abraham was 100 years old when he had Isaac. Has it ever occurred to you that the three patriarchs in Israel history, the three patriarchs, the, you know, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise that lived through the three patriarchs were all put in wombs of deadness. All three wives of the three patriarchs were sterile. They were infertile. They could not bring forth God's desired result, the three patriarchs. Do you know why he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because he wanted to emphasize in that saying, it was a famous saying in Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wanted to emphasize that it wasn't about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why, there, that's why it was said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let it be known in all of Israel's history that we cannot bring this promise through on our own. Isaac stood up and said, Dad, I got you. I'm strong. I could bring it about. God said, no, I'm going to give you Rebecca and see if you could do it. Then Jacob came about and he said, no, I've got both of you. You guys are old. You can't do it. I'm the hothead here. He said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you Rachel. Let's see if you could do it. He said, I'm going to place this living promise in wombs that cannot bring my promise through so that when generations look back, they would have to say, it was all God and God all by himself. Because every God-given miracle begins with an impossibility. And if you've got nothing that's impossible in your life, then you will never see the miracle hand working, miraculous working power of God because they don't call him the God of the possible. They call him the God of the impossible. He's the God of those things you can't bring forth on your own strength. He's that God. I end, I end by saying this. Um, here's the deal. Sarah was 90 years old. 90. One of the things that I realized when my first child was born, uh, I, and I was there, is that women, y'all are strong. Y'all are strong. You've got some strength. Um. Cause like I, I'm like I'm six four, right? And uh, I'm like six four and 
uh, 200 and, and uh, none of your business <laughs> pounds. And, but if I, like, if my nail bends the wrong way, I, I call my mom. I do. I do. Uh, I, I, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. I want soup, a foot massage. That's, that's just me. You know, I, I like that. I like that kind of stuff. Um, but women, y'all are strong, man. Your tolerance for pain is, is through the roof. Now, I saw that firsthand when my first, born, <clears throat> when my first son was, was born. Uh, because I, I was in there, and I remember the nurse was going, uh, push, push. And, I, you know, I was, I was a man, so I didn't take any of the classes beforehand. So I had no idea what I was supposed to do because I'm a man. So I, I, I went in there, and the nurse said, push, 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 push. So I said, I, I think I should do something, you know, help out somehow, feel like I participated in all this. Uh, so I, I remember saying, oh, uh, push, 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 push. And then, uh, then I got a look. Because when the nurse said it, it was all right. But when I said it, I got a look. And the pushing stopped. And then the attention was all on me. <laughs> you know? And I remember I, I looked back. And I said, listen, girl, uh, pushing is optional. If you, want, if you want to, you're more than welcome to do it. I've heard some babies just come out on their own. Just, so that's all right. So that's, that's my, my personal story. And then, the, the, then I heard the nurse say, breathe, breathe. Honestly, I passed out a couple times. This is not, I'm not embellishing. I did. I passed out a couple times. And the, about the third time, the, the lady, the nurse said, breathe, breathe. And I was a trooper. I was, I was still in there, and I was trying because I, I wanted so badly to, to be able to say, I, I was there, and I participated. So she was saying, breathe. So I said, breathe. So I said, look, you know, push didn't help, but maybe breathe. So I said, breathe, 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 breathe. And then the nurse had stopped saying breathe. So then it was just me saying, breathe, breathe breathe. And I looked over at the nurse because there was like dead silence in the room and the nurse was staring at me. And this time it was the nurse staring at me. And then <laughs> these women overall, I have issues <laughs> with women. <laughs> and then the nurse was looking at me and she said, um, I, I wasn't talking to her. She was talking to me. <laughs> She's telling me to breathe. And this is what she said. Literally, this is what she said. She said, sir, I was, I was asking you to breathe because you are much too big. And if you fall again, I'm going to let you die. Just right. <laughs> I'm doing something here. So literally, she had me come back and go. This is, I'm not lying to you guys. She had me come and she said, sir, would you please sit in that corner in that chair? in a corner, and uh, just stay away from this general area overall. Just stay away. So I did. I went, and I, the whole time, I sat in a corner 
Uh, and from the corner, I was going, push, push, breathe. But the, but the one thing that I noticed was you need a whole lot of strength to bring forth a child. But Sarah was 90 years old. But that's why I love the writer of Hebrews. Because he tells us how it happened. He said, by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive and to bear a child. Listen, this whole thing from the very beginning was done by faith. So that no one could come back and say, it was my strength. God said, I called you when you were 90 to bring forth this child. Pastor, let me, let me just say something, and then I'm done here. If God ever gives you a vision for this church, that you guys have enough manpower, strength, talent, or money to accomplish, then scratch that vision because it's not a God vision. When God gives a man a vision, it'll make him weep at night. It'll scare him half to death. When God gives a woman or a man a vision, you'll look at everything around you and you'll say, it can't happen. It won't happen. You will weep yourself to sleep. People will leave you in the process and say it will never come to pass because God always puts his promises in dead wombs. Dead wombs that are incapable of acquiring his result. Whenever you get a place that is big enough for your vision and it is not God's vision, Whenever you get enough money, it is not God's vision. God says, I'm going to put you in impossible places. And places that people will go, there is absolutely no way that this can happen. And I'm going to do it so that in the end, I get all the glory. <laughs> Musicians come. But in the end. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That in the end, that people will have to lift their hands and say it was all because of the Lord. Look what the Lord hath done. That in the end, God will get glory out of your situation. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but you came here with impossible situations. You came here with places that need miracles in your life. You came here and you're looking at God going, but God, you gave me promises about my children. And yet it seems like they're more and more backslidden each day. And how can this ever happen? God, I've got promises, but I'm looking around at my situations and it seems like dead wombs. And I've got talent, but God, look at my season right now. This will never be able to be accomplished. But that's what God is saying to you right here. I have placed lively promises in wombs of deadness that the excellency of the power may be of God 
and not of man. Would you stand to your feet? Would you just close your eyes? Some of you lift your hands if you can, whatever you do. But I, I, I want you to just lift your voice right now and speak life into your situation. The life that I want you to speak right now is say, God, I trust you. I believe you. Though I cannot find my way out, I cannot touch my way out of this, I cannot feel my way out of this, I'm going to trust you through this. It's, it's a lively promise in a womb of deadness, and I don't understand all of it, but God, I'm going to trust you right now that you're going to bring this forth in Jesus' name. This altar is open right now. I don't know where you come from or whom you may be. But this altar is open. I want to invite you here to come. God wants to speak life into your situation. And God wants to reveal to you who he truly is. Whatever that may be, that's the God that I serve. So come on, let's come forth to this altar right now. And I want all over this building, we're going to pray over you and your situations. If you're here and you don't know the Lord and you have not yet received the Holy Ghost, this is a good place to come. God will speak life into you, but he'll reveal himself. His son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to shed his blood for you that you may believe and he may call you just though you do not merit the name. And that's what the gospel is all about. He wants you to come and now believe that Jesus Christ is your substitution for the sins you have done, that he is the sacrifice, that what you don't deserve, he will give it to you by grace and he will do it. And that's what, that's, that's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to come. You don't know the Lord. You come to this place. But you that are redeemed, you that are a Christian already, I want you to come. God wants to speak into your situation as well. He has placed a living promise in the womb of deadness. Today is the day. Come on up. Come on up. In Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. Come on. All over this building. Come on. That's it. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Whoever you are, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. We want to pray. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we magnify your name. We deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we magnify your name. For you
praise God. Before we leave, I want you just to find somebody to pray with right now. Maybe you can join hands with them. Maybe you can turn around and pray for them. But if you don't know what to say, I just want you to speak life. Speak life. Speak hope into their situation right now. In the name of Jesus. God, this is a perfect environment for a miracle. This is a perfect environment for you to show yourself mighty. So just speak life. You have the power to do it right now. You can speak it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. I speak life into their family. I speak life into their marriage, Jesus. I speak life into their finances. I speak life into their situation, whatever it is that they are fighting, struggling with. In the name of Jesus, I speak life. And I speak hope into it. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke the devourer, Lord God. And we lay hold on the promises of the Lord. I speak life, Lord Jesus, into their spiritual man, life and hope. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, that's it. Hallelujah. Body minister to the body. Pray for them right now in Jesus' name. Speak life. While they're speaking life into you, you speak life into them. Prophesy. Speak it in Jesus' name. take dominion authority over negativity and doubt right now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth this element in us that is the very thing that keeps us from tapping into the resources of heaven and I command it to be banished from our spirits and God let us believe you again Lord God let us take hold of the promises of heaven Lord Jesus let us rejoice at the promises in the name of the Lord. God, I believe. Come on, somebody speak it right now. God, I believe in your promise. I believe you're working on my behalf. I believe, Lord Jesus, you're turning this thing around. I believe, Lord God, your purpose is being unfolded in my life. Lord, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Somebody, somebody shout it out. Lord, I believe. I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe it.
Thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to end this service up the same way that we started it. And that is through the power of agreement. If one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight, that lets me know the power is multiplied when we agree together. And so as we, uh, uh, before we leave here today, and if you want to continue praying, you're welcome to do that. The Spirit of the Lord is moving here. But before you leave, before we say this final prayer, I want you to find somebody. And, and th- this, is, this is not just an empty exercise. But I want you to find somebody, and I, you're going to shake hands with them, but you're going to look them in the eye, and you're going to say, I'm believing with you. I am believing with you. Or you can say, I believe it. Whatever it is along those lines that you want to say, I want you to affirm to that person that you believe. God's given them a promise. It doesn't matter how far fetched it seems or how far off it seems. I believe with you. Can you do that right now? Use your your mouth right now to speak faith. I believe with you. Come on, speak it. Speak faith right now. Praise God. Amen. That's it. The Lord bless you. Thank you for being with us. If you're a guest, we'd love to meet with you out in the guest reception before you leave. Thank you for being here. We'll see you Thursday night at midweek service. The programming center behind. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.